Hello and welcome to episode nine of the Stolen Signs podcast from Baseball Prospectus. I'm Kendall Gilmet, and I'm here with Harry Pavlidis of Baseball Prospectus. Hello, Harry. Hello, Kendall. Number nine. Niner. Niner. Um, nine. That's um, Javier Baez's number. number. It's a baseball number. It's number number of players on the lineup. Number of players on the lineup. It's the number of um, players that need to come to the plate to bat around. Oh. Oh no no no! Why That's... don't it's a number of innings in a regulation game? <sighs> number of pitches in an immaculate inning. Mm. You can at Harry on the uh, batting around. Oh God! Um... See, all right. When I batted, like I remember, it was the tenth hitter. It was, anyways. Okay. <laughs> Is, is that your, your, uh, now, your, yeah, I, your... cause I remember batting lead off and remembering that it, we, we didn't, it was, we didn't bat around unless I, God damn it. Unless I batted twice. Yeah, I unless know. Harry got two ABs. <laughs> I am no, also, I, I, I always felt that the 10th hitter had to come up. I also agree with that. I believe that too. We, did we talk about this on, um, I don't think we've ever talked about that on this. Maybe that was in Slack. Anyway. Um, yeah, I think uh, I'm. Uh, ten- Either on the podcast or on Slack. Yeah. Who knows the That's difference? It. Yeah. <laughs> Same thing, totally. Um, yeah. So, anyway, I agree with you. Um, I'm on 10th batter coming to the plate as well. Uh, that is not the subject of the show. That is not the subject of the show today. We are talking about playoffs. And um, just today, when we're recording, we're recording on Wednesday, the Chicago Cubs clinched the National League Central. I'm very excited about that. Um, yes, and it's, um, good. It, it's a successful season for a team to win their division. Yes, and as we're going to talk about in a bit, it's uh, not too much, but kind of refer to how important it is to win the division these days because you don't want to go the wild card. Yep, that's true. Um, but if you can't win your division, you really want to go the wild card. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I mean, it's just as exciting to clinch a wildcard team. You know, they have to pop the champagne and everything. Uh, but as people may have read at Fangraphs about a week ago or so, you know, it, it's it's the land of upsets. Yeah, It's not completely fair, especially because you have such a disparity between the teams. So that's kind of what this show is about. It's about why playoffs are the way they are and is it good <laughs> and how you deal with it and how teams can approach the playoffs differently yeah we've got uh, a, a great panel um, that we're going to have on um, Travis Sachik from Fangraphs we've got um, Rob Arthur of 538 Greg Matthews um, who is a professor and also um, co-authored with Rob some work at 538 and yeah, Greg Bro is also one of the contributors to the Open War, the O War. There's, there's more than three. There's more than two. There's more than two, there's, right? <laughs> there's, and then uh, also um, Ben Diamond from Baseball Prospectus. So uh, we've got a great crew on uh, the show. So we're excited to um, share that with you. Um, but in the meantime, if you want to reach us, we are on Twitter at stolen underscore signs and you can reach us via email stolen underscore signs at baseball com. we are on itunes rate and review us 
We would love that. Um, if you like the show, um, just pop into your podcast client and give us however many stars you think we've earned. Um, nine. Nine stars, uh, at least. So, um, yeah. But uh, we will be right back with... Um, A big panel. Yeah. Greg and Rob and Travis and Ben and Harry and Kendall. Stick around. All right, everybody. Welcome back. We today have Rob Arthur from 538, Greg Matthews, and Travis Sochik, and Ben Diamond, and we are going to be talking about playoff baseball. But before we do that, we want to hear and get to know these guys a little bit. And so, Rob, will you start by telling us a little bit about yourself and your background and how you got into baseball? Sure. Um, so I started out actually as a scientist a few years ago. I was getting my PhD in genetics at the University of Chicago, and I kept a blog on baseball and other things in my spare time. And as I was finishing up my PhD, which as anyone who's been through graduate school knows is like a terrible time in their life, I was uh, spending a, a lot more time on my blog than um, I should have been. And uh, and fortunately, Ben Lindbergh who was at the time the editor-in-chief of Baseball Prospectus happened to notice my blog and asked me if I wanted to start writing for Baseball Prospectus, which I did. And by the time my, uh, I had actually defended my dissertation and was ready to go get a job as a uh, as an academic somewhere, um, 538 swooped in and asked me if I would come write for them. So I had kind of an alternate career path open up just as this exact moment uh, when I had to sort of decide. So uh, eventually I ended up going, obviously, with uh, the journalism route and uh, haven't, I haven't regretted it so far. So that's how I, that's how I got into it. Yeah, I remember your blog because uh, Ben was – he would send it to me. So he, he, he actually – he's like, is this guy any good? I'm like, I don't understand what he's talking about, so maybe. <laughs> uh, so, I mean, I don't even remember what the research was that got, got him interested in you. Do you remember? I do. It was about uh, predicting uh, uh, injuries for position oh. players. And apparently, I showed up at the top of a Google search that he was running about uh i think it was jacoby ellsbury and uh and that's how it all began for me so if i had done something like this guy sucks we don't you know we don't want to publish his stuff would you still be in academia probably hmm okay really miss your opportunity that's that's i I have regrets (laughs) so anybody else here in uh in genetics Anybody else do you have a PhD in genetics? I did. I did a postdoc uh, in genetics. I took freshman biology. Does that count? That no. counts. Oh yeah. Yeah, that counts. counts. Good enough. Okay. I failed freshman biology. Does that count? 
Yeah, you're using you're using your biology background as much as Rob is. Exactly. <laughs> so, so what, Ben, are you a student? Is that is that what you're trying to imply? Uh, yeah, yeah. I think I I feel terrible now compared to Rob, but yeah, um, I pretty much started uh, a couple years ago. Um, I was I'm just I was a huge Yankee fan. I was like I want to write about baseball, so I saw BP Bronx had an opening, and I wrote uh, Kenny Doosley, who was the editor in chief at the time, and I was like, hey, do you have a spot for me anywhere? Like I know it's halfway through the season, whatever, and I got a little uh, gig once a week doing a minor league update, and then I kind of just climbed the ladder from there to doing a couple other things on the site, and then went to another site, another site, another site, and it kind of built up, and uh, finally managed to get onto the main page at BP. So. Um, that was uh, it's been a fun little two year climb for me. So nothing with PhDs or blogs or anything like that, but that's how I got here. So did you do any writing before contacting Kenny? No, that was uh, that was really the first time. I was pretty much just like I'm I'm a big baseball fan. This seems fun, uh, and then yeah, and then just gave it a shot. I guess my first article wasn't terrible. I haven't gone back to read it. Read it. I definitely don't want to. Um, but uh, yeah, so I mean, I've just been. That was pretty much my start. And luckily, people weren't reading much of like a little minor league update on BB Barnes about me yet. So I didn't get any uh, too much criticism. So I kind of just went with it and kept going. And yeah, so um, yeah, I still am a student. I'm a sophomore at Wesleyan University. So yeah, a lot less experience than you guys, but I'm working on it. <laughs> Start somewhere. That's right. Yeah, right. Awesome. What about you, Travis? <laughs> I have climbed a path. I'm not even sure my route to this this place of baseball writing even exists anymore. I rose up through traditional kind of traditional newspaper uh, equivalent to a minor league track, smaller markets, smaller papers, larger markets, larger papers. And as the industry kind of contracts and is in total chaos, I have ended up at Fangraphs. So uh, I was in the Carolinas covering Clemson athletics at one point, and uh, I went to cover pirates for the Pittsburgh Tribune Review, which no longer publishes a paper in the city, <laughs> but it was a fantastic four years in the face of um, the major league Pirates beat there, and then in December I went over to Fangraphs, where I've been. I think I started January third, so getting close to a year. I don't think my track is. Uh, yeah, but for, for young people getting into the journalism world, I don't even know what I would tell them to do today. But I don't think the avenue. Uh, I have uh, traversed exists anymore. It's just it's it's tough out there for young people getting into this this world. So I feel somewhat fortunate to be in the position I am I am today. And you, along the way, wrote a book. Is that correct? I did. I did stumble into a book. Uh, <laughs> good timing, as the Pirates were my first year covering baseball. The Pirates were uh, ending their their twenty year streak of losing seasons, which is a, a North American pro sports record for futility. And there's some, they're doing some interesting things from a sabermetric perspective, which I've always been interested in, even as when I was covering college athletics. Uh, so yeah, things kind of came together in a serendipitous style. And uh, yeah, I wrote Big Data Baseball, which came out, what, two years ago? Feels like a lifetime ago, but uh, yeah, it was a lot, it was a lot of fun. 
the process, I, I guess it's probably like going to a, a, a PhD. It wasn't always fun, but at the end, it's rewarding to see your, your name on, on the cover and see the actual finished product. So, yeah, that's my resume. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's a you know the big database whole book is definitely a nice read because it goes you did so much research and actually talking with the people doing doing work with the data, not just you know GM and the players. I mean, you got to really see the whole interaction. Of course, the, the whole point I think of the story is the pirates are doing things so differently. Uh, so what you should do now is go follow uh, follow Mike Fitzgerald to Arizona. Write a book about the Diamondbacks going. <laughs> right. I, I am what so, you said in person. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it happens, I'll take a note on that. Yeah. <laughs> All right. And Greg, what about you? How did you get to this point in your life and um, baseball fandom and, and things like that? Um, so I'm, uh, I did my undergraduate degree in like actuarial science and I was, uh, I was always ma- into math and statistics and data. Um, I eventually ended up in graduate school and I did a PhD, uh, in statistics at the university of Connecticut. Um, and then, um, I did a postdoc in genetics, statistical genetics. So me and Rob are, um, basically the same person. Um, I don't, <laughs> I don't do any genetics anymore, um, and it was a good experience, but the best part of the experience was um, I met a guy named Ben Balmer who is now a professor at Smith College and who used to work at the Mets, and um, we got introduced to each other through another postdoc at UMass, and um, he asked if I wanted to work on a project with him, and I thought it would be some small thing, and he was like, let's uh, make a new make a new uh, war, and I was like, okay, that's pretty big, and so we, we wrote um, – the paper on open war that's in JQAS. Um, Spell that out for our. Oh, the Journal of Quantitative Analysis of Sports. Sorry. Um, then people might have thought it, but could have been the Journal of Quantitative Analysis and Salads. That's true. That's true. Salamanders. So I thought it was important for the listeners. Well, I'll stop using any acronyms. Um, okay. So, so then I I wrote that. That's how I sort of started writing. Um, academically about about baseball and statistics um and i I was going to stay at umass but there was a funding snafu and uh, i ended up getting a job in chicago at loyola and i I think harry i met you at some conference at northwestern medical school that you gave a presentation at yeah it was um like the chicago some chicago statisticians association but basically judge couldn't jonathan judge couldn't make it so i gave a talk <laughs> that's basically my job um is so uh he you know i gave a i think i talked about uh oh no i talked definitely talked about our, our framing stuff yeah so yeah and so I was actually going to go to that because I was interested in another talk. And then I saw that there was a baseball talk and I was like, oh, I got to meet this guy. And then through you, I met everyone's in Chicago. I met Jonathan Judge and, and Rob Arthur and, you know, all those other people. Um, and uh, now I write stuff with Rob occasionally. <laughs> yes, you do. And it's actually, you know, you've also done some competitive things with sports predictions and and whatnot have you haven't you didn't you didn't you do something with uh was it mike lopez 
their partner in crime. Are you referring to the Kaggle contest? Yeah, didn't you win a Kaggle contest once? We we did win a Kaggle contest once, and uh, it was the March Machine Learning Madness in 2014, um, where we had to predict the probabilities of, of winning games in the NCAA tournament. And uh, we ended up finishing second, and the guy who finished first got disqualified for cheating, and we ended up finishing first, and we won the prize money. It was uh, it's pretty awesome. <laughs> Do you get like a giant check? Like I mean, like physically big, like eight foot long. No, I was sa- I was satisfied with just a regular transfer of the money with no check. It's all the same to me. <laughs> So there you have it. The that's quite that's quite a panel. Yeah, We're, you guys are all over the place. Yeah. Thank, thank you guys for coming on to, to talk about. I, I did play, um, playoff baseball here. Yeah, we're going to talk about playoffs now. I think kind of what started a lot of this well, there were two articles, one by Travis and one by Ben. That um, I kind of saw Ben's because it, early because he put the stat requests through our uh, our ticket <laughs> ticket system, and so I, I think I kind of want to start actually there with the process of what the playoff structures look like and and how things changed. So. I like the wild card system. I think it's awesome. I think it makes a division championship really, really important. So that is like the number one improvement of having a second wild card team to me is that it makes the division more important. There's the added benefit of having more teams competitive and many, many more games that are actually meaningful in some even tangential way in September. And that wouldn't exist as Ben can tell us if they hadn't changed the playoff system. Yeah, I mean, I agree with you on that. I think it's interesting. You don't really think about that, but it really, the two wildcard system, it gives us two new races because before winning the division or winning the wildcard, I mean, that was nice and you got uh, an advantage, but it wasn't really anything special. Now it's either playing a five-game series or it's a coin flick game, which I really appreciate. And then also, of course, the fact that there is that wildcard game in general, which really opens it up to so many other teams. Um so, yeah, with my article, basically, I was looking down at uh, all the different formats that we've gone through. So, obviously, the two wild card and the one wild card. And then there's the pre wild card. And for phone, I looked at the one team per league, which uh, for some reason, a few people actually supported, which made no sense to me. But um, I looked through that basically to just see how the final week, final weeks leading up to the end of the season, uh, would look like if we were under different formats. Pretty much what I found is that. Right now, we're not we're not great. It's not a great situation. Uh, not too exciting to end out the year, but we've seen pretty good finishes in the past, and we at least have a pretty good race uh, with the NL second wild card between a few teams. But uh, if you remove that second wild card from the equation, you're looking at pretty much all the divisions are practically locked up, uh, and all the wild cards are practically locked up. And if you go back a few weeks in the past everything is still locked up. So you're looking at maybe a full month where it's pretty certain that no no um, spots are going to change hands. And I mean, you can argue about how important it is down the stretch to see some excitement. But um, I think when you're evaluating playoff formats, you at least have to make a major consideration for how exciting it will be down the stretch. And with one wild card or less, it would have been pretty awful. And then, so looking at not just this year, but other years, um, that's pretty much been the case as well in previous years. Like this year's not an anomaly. Uh, is that right? 
Yeah, I mean, this year, of course, it's not as upsetting as usual because, I mean, as of about a week ago, we had three uh, three under 500 teams still trying to get in get a spot in the playoffs, which is a little bit more rare. But, I mean, you're usually seeing with the new wildcard system about 14 teams right in the thick of it in the final week or two, which is pretty great. Um, and if you look further back, you're going to see with the one wildcard system really not even close to that much. And, I mean, that doesn't mean it's exactly dead in the last month. But I mean, this year at least it would have been um, it would have been pretty boring for the final month or two. Um, from Travis, from your perspective, does does it make it when you know, particularly when you were covering a team, you, so you've seen the difference between <laughs> nothing and going for wild cards. How much how much easier does it make your job, or harder does it make your job in September if there's just less of a chance of every day having a game that your team plays that's just not part of this, you know, any meaningful picture. Yeah, I, I'm a fan of, from a writer's perspective, I'm a fan of the, the second wild card for a number of the reasons stated. Uh, it, it has a dual benefit of it makes the division races much more uh, significant and important, and it also opens up the field to a lot of other other teams. So yeah, sort of this it's a very elegant solution to, uh, to what baseball is looking for. And for a, from a writer, even a fan perspective, it's, it's great because it keeps more teams within that range of uh, that plausible uh, range of striking distance. So, yeah, I think it's, it's achieved exactly what the game has, has wanted, uh, has wanted from the format in regard to September baseball and meaning of races and keeping more people, more, more fans interested. Yeah, it's got to me. It's got to be more revenue for baseball. Yeah, more you know. revenue. You have two wonderful made-for-television events, <laughs> arbitrary kind of uh, single these these playing games that are sort of manufactured, but people watch them and they're exciting because they're single elimination events. So, from all from the revenue perspective, there's also sort of all sorts of great things that baseball has extracted from this this change that I that I think just came about because of the, the drama at the end of the 2011 season and everyone realized how great this was uh, that crazy I think final day with the Rays and Orioles if I'm remembering all that correctly yeah that and, was uh, a cr- yeah, crazy it's been great so once we're once we actually arrive but it at could that be better point, yes exactly be it could be better so this is what you recently covered for Fangrass is some of uh, basically how the Korean League KBO approaches the problem, which I think, uh, speaking as a Cubs fan, we, we, you know, we're always reminded that Theo Epstein said they should have a double header to determine the wild card winner and you know, make it a best of three. So one game, you know, double header and then a third game if necessary. So kind of a strange approach. Didn't seem to make sense from a schedule and logistic perspective, but sounds like Korea has a much better alternative solution. Right. I Since the second wild card has come about and this playing game has come about, people have immediately begun to look for a better, more equitable, uh, more uh, fairness is the right word, but a better way to go about this. Uh, because it seems inherently unfair if you're a 98 win wild card team and say you're matched up with a 92 win wild card team and all of a sudden you have to uh, play in this kind of arbitrary one 
163rd game to enter the postseason tournament. Uh, so I think people, there is a camp that wanted to extend the wild card round to a best of three. Uh, also, if you are if you don't have the same level of ace pitcher, you're at a disadvantage if your team isn't constructed ideally for that game. Uh, so I think there's a whole there's a whole assortment of reasons to want to expand the round. But working against any expansion of the wild card round is the calendar, uh, having teams wait around and uh, things of that nature. And the the other thing is, if all other factors are equal. Uh, except home field, even if you expanded the wild card round to a best of three, I think the the, the home team's advantage uh, of avoiding an upset only increases by a couple percentage points. So there's there's that where it really doesn't there's only a marginal advantage if you're looking to reduce upsets and help a stronger wild card. Uh, if that's your motivation, there's only a marginal advantage. So the calendar is one issue that a uh, small percentage point is another matter, but the KBO has this uh, very elegant solution, I think, where they, they also have a wild card round, but they play this best of two uh, format where the number one wild card uh, hosts and they only need to win one of the two possible games to advance where the, the number two wild card team needs to win both games on the road to advance. And uh, the probability drops from, again, all things being equal for these teams, the home team usually has a, I think a 54% chance of winning any one uh, random home game. Uh, so the, the under the, uh, the number two wild card, their odds drop from 46 to 21% to in that scenario where they have to win, uh, each game, both both on the road. Hey. So uh, you could play this in one day, the the Epstein doubleheader idea, or you could play it over two. You, you wouldn't have to expand the calendar uh, all that much, or you could keep it to one day. And you also reduce the chance of a much, uh, of a more inferior team advancing into to the postseason. And uh, uh, I, I feel like the regular season should carry a lot of merit. This, this six-month marathon, this grind, and to have this kind of random one game, <laughs> this element of fairness, uh, it bothers me a little bit, maybe in part because I was in Pittsburgh and uh, <laughs> you know, what, what is the matter? Okay. All right, no, no, that, that, that worked out great. I thought, I thought that yeah. worked out great. Uh, so I, I, I have a question that I want to, to so throw out how, to everybody. That's a long-winded answer, but that's how <laughs> <it happens>. So <laughs> let me no, throw that's a, Kendall, go ahead. Yeah, Sorry. let me throw this question out to everybody because I think there's this thing that I think I love the idea of like the two game playoff, but I think that there's like a sticking point of um, kind of what people are used to. And so I think that people would think that there would be some sort of un, some inherent unfairness in a two game play. It's not a best of three, you know, like a best of odd number series. It's, it's a two game playoff. And uh, so the second wild card would be at a disadvantage. And I feel like the, sports consumer the baseball fan or you know probably more so the uh, more casual baseball fan would be like oh that's not fair that's this that and the other my team has to win two games where the other team just has to win one I feel like that would be the biggest hurdle um, in implementing something like that what do you guys think I think this happens when anything new comes along and people panic about how it's, they complain about it, they complain about it, they complain about it. And then 
uh, it becomes sort of like ingrained in how they view the sport. And then that's what they want. And then when there's another change, now they complain about the new change. I think if you just let people get used to it, they'll, they'll like it. Have you been on Twitter in the past t- two days? <laughs> I'm on Twitter quite a bit, yes. That might be an example of what you're saying. Yeah. So, so, you, so you like the idea of just making it too? Do you think that because I would think as a statistician, Greg, you'd probably find that appealing in terms of making, uh, you know, it's a more rigorous test, even though I, it's a short test. It's you know. Yeah, I I've, I've never heard of this before. Uh, I've never heard of this before until I read that article, and I love this idea. Um, and if people have a problem about it's not a three-game series, call it a three-game series and say that the, the wild card team, that's the first-place team, they won the first game. Now it's a, it's a best-of-three series, and it's one nothing going in. People can get used to that. I, I bet that that's you could find a way to market it where you know it's like a, a sprint series or something. You know, you know, the, yeah. they'll do. A, uh, there's got to be a way. I, I had kind of a crazy idea, and this is because, and I think someone already mentioned this, might have been Ben about there's there was there's a bunch of under 500 teams that are contending, or were, and I, I just remember just you know back when there was just most of my I guess a big part of my life was four, you know four four playoff teams. You know, so uh, the, the the I remember my father always saying things like, it, "Don't even worry about a team." Like we used to pick up, okay, figure out the magic number in the newspaper, just because they didn't print it back in the Stone Ages. You had to actually figure this stuff out yourself. So he'd be teaching me that. He's like, "Don't bother with the teams that are under 500 to figure out what their elimination number is." You know, they're not. You know, unless a team is a winning team, you shouldn't consider them. So my idea is, if you make the playoffs but you're under 500, you don't. You don't. <laughs> Like, it's like your wild card opponent gets a buy. It's like the bowl system where you, you aren't eligible for a bowl if you're under 500. Right. And yeah. You, you <laughs> went five and seven. Screw you. <laughs> that would probably piss people off more <laughs> than the doubleheader idea. Yes. So well, maybe we could pose those two options. And then people would be like, no, let's do the two game one. That makes more sense. We like that one better. Oh, you, you say it's either one or the other and you yeah, choose. Give people yeah. options. It's like the angry father, <laughs> Rob Manfred. Now that's enough complaining about the playoffs. This is what's good, how it's going to be. <laughs> oh, that doesn't sound. But it would set up, the second game would set up all these interesting scenarios. Like if, say, the. Could you bring back Andrew while well, the Indians aren't going to play in this game? Or could you bring back your top reliever uh, to pitch in both games? Who would you set up to pitch in a second game? And uh, you could, for baseball's TV rating interest, you could have potentially two elimination type games because the road team is going to have to win to advance. And then the home team, if it loses the first game, faces another elimination game. And you, if you played this out over a weekend, you could have a Saturday Sunday filled with wall-to-wall uh, elimination-type baseball coverage. And you would create essentially another postseason race where the distinction between the first and second wild card becomes pretty meaningful. And the number one overall seed in each league becomes even more important because you have the potential to face a, a wild card winner that's exhausted their top two starting pitching options just to get into the the, uh, the series portion of the playoffs. So 
I think there's all sorts of interesting byproducts of this, this format. And yeah. I think the good people of South Korea are really onto something. Yeah, I think the game theory aspects of it are uh, would be huge um, to think about. In, in in the implementation of this and like you said i mean even teams that are like fighting to get into the playoffs now they clinch late or whatever um they don't have a chance to set up their rotations in exactly way, the way although that's less of a concern now um because there's so much time like the first i think the first games are next friday like for the the division series thursday or friday so it's like there's like a you can kind of set your rotation pretty much however you want if you're not playing in the wild card games. But, um, but yeah, like that could totally screw up your whole, you know, first real round of the playoffs um, from a pitching perspective. I think that that would be really, really fascinating to see what I, what teams yeah, do. Like, those scenarios, are like I chaos think is really fun. It, yeah, it would be really confusing totally. to like make a decision. Say it's the doubleheader, even if it's not a doubleheader, whatever it is. Do you do you hold back like? you hold back your number one? Like if you're the team that has the advantage, like, you know, we'll, we'll pitch him in game two when it's the elimination game and we'll just put our, our three or four guy who may not, you know, I mean, do you, do you kind of, how much do you game that first game in terms of, of risking it? Or you just put everything into that game and just say, just get it over with, win this, win our one game in the first game and not have to deal with two games. I mean, that just creates so much tension and drama. I think that would be amazing. Yeah, like would the Yankees hold back Severino in this scenario and try to bullpen the first game and hope they can advance and just throw him in game one of the ALDS, or do they try to get over with and take out the the Twins in the first game? So yeah, that'd be fascinating. In a strange way, it reminds me of the pitch count and scheduling stuff that goes on the World Baseball Classic, but you know in a less artificial and more easy to explain and understand way in terms of why you might hold back or use a guy differently, like just really differently (laughs) than you might normally, you know, just to get through those two games. I think it's interesting too. I mean, this is me speaking as a Yankee fan, but this kind of gives me flashbacks back to, I think, uh, was it 2004 when the Yankees were up 3-0 in the uh, ALCS and then they dropped four straight? So, I mean, it's not exactly comparable, but it's that kind of you have to win four in a row. How does each team play that? Uh, I think that especially comes in when you're when the series is maybe at like 3-2. Um, and it obviously it's different because you're in the thick of the playoffs at that point. But I think it is an interesting way to think about, like, do you really, yeah, exactly like what, um, what you said before, do you pour all your resources into getting that one game or do you recognize that you have another game after that to get it right? So if you're the, if you think you're the better team, you don't need to exactly go all in. It creates all sorts of math and probability questions. And I think, uh, I mean, when you think about like front offices as they're preparing, you know, let's say, you know, this was implemented, like how much um, research and development would go into analyzing, you know, the results from Korea. And um, I think that would be fascinating to like just to open up that door to look into that um in the style of setting travis do you know how long they've they've done that um format i don't i i believe we could go on to wikipedia yeah but i did yeah that'd be a great follow-up to see how but yeah I've, i'm sorry to say i do not know how long it is it had this format but i don't think it has a 
very long history, uh, if my memory serves me correct. Yeah, I, I think it was fairly recent, I think you said. According to Wikipedia, the first year of this was 2015. So, Rob, what do you think? You've been quiet. It means you're probably going to be like, no, I don't like it. So. <laughs> um, I don't know. I, I feel like with a lot of aesthetic uh, decisions about how the game should be, I can no longer offer any kind of real opinion because I've been too distorted by being a writer. I, I do feel like sort of, Travis, you touched on this as well with like having been reporting on the pirates and seeing them get kind of screwed with the second wild card a couple of times. Uh, you know, I think that when you when you spend a lot of time, you know, in the, in the game and knowing people in the game, it's hard to like say this is how the game should be because you, you either consciously or unconsciously want to help your friends. And um, from the from a different sort of angle, any kind of change is good for me as a writer because it allows me to to have new article ideas. So. Yeah, I would say go go change. You know, not only the playoff schedule, but uh, you know, put some games in uh, outdoors in December. I want to see what that's like. You know, throw <laughs> throw a couple holes in the field, see how that works. You know, maybe put some trees up. I want I want all the changes. This possible. is a, this is your yeah. chance to throw in change Russell Car- Carlton's uh, random assignment of players <laughs> to rosters. <laughs> right. That would be- you know, I just I think we'll whatever, never really answer any sabermetric question do. until we have random rosters. Right. Whatever you can do to mess with baseball, I'm all about it. Just because I want to be able to collect the data and then write about it. So you'll, yeah. you'll know sabermetrics has gone too far when they start randomizing rosters for our for our. Yeah. Okay, but okay, so you do have uh, a vested interest though in change. So I, I'll I understand that. So that, that's that's fine. Okay, so this would we we're talking a lot about this already. I think this kind of gets into what I think was our second topic for this discussion, which is how you how you set up. I mean, so obviously the 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 playoff structure and format that you have has a lot to do with how you're going to set up your roster and how your roster is going to be able to be set up. I mean, primarily, I think Ben is he, he ran down all the you know the, the races over in a month you know, the race is over the week to go, race over two days to go, or down to a team having to play a, a game 163 to break a tie to get in to play a wild card or something. So sometimes you're just pretty much putting your rotation together based on what, how the pieces may fall together. Other times you're really putting, trying to get in a position where you're trying to stack guys up. Um, but then there's also other things that if I can just rattle off quickly before turning this over to the group, it, there, there are things that you do differently. I think when you play playoff baseball, so you're, you're going to get rid of one of your starters. Some of your, one of your starters may actually be in the bullpen. Your bullpen is probably going to be smaller. I think teams don't, won't put as many pitchers out there. So you can end up with a, a roster that has a room for a speed guy or something who's only there to pinch run, you know, uh, uh, you know, in, in late situations. And, you know, so you, you end up having a slightly different complexion of the game as a result of the roster makeup, not just the intensity and the, and the situations slash level of competition. So with that, you know, do those things work? <laughs> there is there also just to just go to the dance with the girl, you know, dance with the girl you brung type of thing, you know, that just, 
don't mess with your team. Don't mess with players' routines. You know, don't start taking your starters out after three innings. Don't put your starters on three days rest. They're not used to that. I mean, what's what's the conventional wisdom and what's the truth on these things? I want answers. Yeah, I want to say, uh, I think it's interesting. You have to consider, I mean, just as important it is that you have the roster set up and a manager that's willing to make those moves, you also have to have those players. Um, there's an example for the Yankees. Um, uh, I think a reporter asked Joe Girardi, would you be comfortable maybe stacking and having a bullpen game for the wild card? Uh, because they have such a great collection of arms. Could you try uh, starting Chad Green and then bringing in Chapman, Katanzas, Robertson, uh, give Sebi a few innings, all of that. And he said he wouldn't be comfortable with that. I think half of it is that maybe he's not so comfortable with having those weird assigned roles or unassigned roles, but the other half of it is that he doesn't really think his players can handle that. And uh, some teams just happen to be set up in a way that they, they're very flexible and they're, it's both with just their talent and their mindset. For example, I think if you look at the Indians last year, Andrew Miller was pretty much willing to go in at any time possible. And that was huge for the Indians, but you have to look at the players uh, like Houston Street, who, I mean, he's not necessarily going to be in a playoff situation, but he's like, I, would, I wouldn't play for any manager that makes me come in and not the ninth inning. So you really just have to look at how the players are going to approach the situation as well. I think, too, like, I agree. I mean, there's such a, a human aspect to this and you know, how are they going to perform in this situation? Um, but I think that th- there is like a bullpen game or, you know, like different things like that. Like that's so kind of outside the norm of, I mean, I, th- I feel like the, the, there has been a little bit of a rise of using bullpen games throughout the season. Um, I know that the Cubs have done some of those. The Mariners have done some of those. Whether that's due to injury or other things, um, obviously you that wouldn't necessarily be something you would choose. But but I think that like when everything's on the line, you want to like this is just my thinking. I don't know that this would necessarily be a player's thinking, but like you would want to have your best you know, possible starting pitchers in there. And, um, I don't know. I, I I think maybe, maybe I'm old school, but I would, I would feel like really weird if like my team was like, yeah, we're going to do a bullpen game. It's like, this is, this is the playoffs. Like you understand that, right? This is, we could, if we lose this game, that could be very bad for us. Um, (laughs) <laughs> am, I, am I old school? Is that like, a, a, or a, I think do other people feel, feel that way too? Like, if your team was you're like, old school. <laughs> I think teams would. I I don't know. Um, is a starter available? Is a good starter available? Is, is it? Is it your fourth or fifth guy who would be due to go that day? Is he? Is that a solid? guy in your rotation is that a clubhouse leader in your so like if it's the cubs using them as an easy example uh would be john lackey like we're not going to start john today in the wild card game we're going to go we're going to start with carl edwards then we're going to bring in brian densing okay i don't know how that would go no over. thanks <laughs> no thanks <laughs> I think that that sounds terrible. Like, if that, if if like I'm a Cubs fan, and so like if Joe Madden trotted out that lineup, I would be pissed. 
I'd be like, what are you doing, dude? I don't know. Is there statistical backing for doing a kind of an unconventional bullpen game? Is that something, does anybody know if there's precedent for that or any sort of statistical reasoning behind that? All-star game. I I have no idea. Um, I think it's like the all-star game. Where I, I would say you'd look at, you know. Brian Dunsing's not an all-star. Yeah, I know, but it's just like all your pitchers like going for their one hard inning. So maybe even some of your rotation guys who, you know, so maybe it's John Lackey for an inning, you know, something like that and see how those. So there's precedent there for for if you're moving guys around. But in terms of a strategy, I think that's also a good place to look because the hitters, well, crap, it doesn't work because the hitters swap out a lot, too, because it's the hitters never see a guy twice. It's mostly theoretical, I think. Well, I still have I mean, heartburn from Game Seven, so and because <laughs> of all the pitchers that were used there, so maybe that's my hangover. Turned out all right, though. I want to see a bullpen game and a wild card game. I want to see uh, someone just needs to do it and have it be successful, and then it'll be copycatted in the right situations like every other good idea is yeah, be I want geniuses. to see platoon advantages flipped I want to see the uh, like the Yankees are would be a great test candidate I guess they're not going to do it but they would be a great test this year because they have five guys striking out 30% or more batters and uh, they could save their A's for an ALDS game or use them in a little bit of fashion so they'd be a great test case well so how Sadly, would you do it happen. you'd have the starter go like three innings or, or and when would you go to the bullpen when, if you were going to do that yeah because typically like a bullpen like Jeremy Jeffers when he did a start he went to went into the third inning I think for the Brewers recently when they did one of the they because they've had to do a lot of bullpen games because Jimmy Nelson and you know actually there's a good contemporary example it's like those were really meaningful games they did not have a qualified starter so it was Jeffries followed by you know all sorts of random other guys. How'd that work out for them? Not not so great, I think. <laughs> but this oh, is a terrible idea. Last year. <laughs> Miller's the guy last year who proved that you're not going to melt if you're not pitching in a traditional role. Uh, I think these guys, if you just explain to them you, the, the statistical backing, a lot of them will get it. And I think pleasure became more and more comfortable with information from uh, using launch angle and stack cast, defensive positioning, pitchers using spin rate and pitch location, all the pitch tracking. So I think we're entering a period where guys are going to become more comfortable with unconventional ideas like this if they're if they're couched and uh, explained well. Uh, yeah, I think in certain situations like these, these single game wild card play-in uh, they're so they're weird games to begin with. I think attacking them in unconventional ways not only can set you up to to perform well there, but you have to worry about the next step and not putting yourself uh, at such a disadvantage in the next round if you're extinguishing your uh, your your ace. And so you you burn your ace in the wild card game, then you face Corey Kluber twice with going up against your two or three. You're just not setting yourself up for for success down the road uh, because a playing game is just entering the dance. It's really not the objective 
of your of your postseason. So you would th- you would suggest almost I don't maybe that's too strong a term, but <laughs> the like yeah you've got your a good starter ready. Don't start them. So <laughs> no, what's what's if, the, if you, what's the like point? The Yankees where, are a great test case because they have well yeah, but like so who's their who's the best starter on the Yankees? Uh, Severino. Severino's probably yes. Yeah, Severino's probably going first, but also, I mean, I think it's interesting. You also have to see Severino is weird because he kind of gets better as he goes on through the game. His fastball velocity goes up sometimes, which is pretty odd. So he doesn't really have that kind of split where the second and third time through the order he gets much worse. Um, but maybe if you look at a guy like Sonny Gray, I, I mean, I could look up the numbers right now, but I think he happens to get a little bit worse as he goes through the game. So maybe you give Gray the first few innings in the wildcard game and pray that you make it through there and start Severino as your true number one for game one of the division series. I could totally see the uh, New York papers being super reasonable about oh, this. Gosh. <laughs> they they always are. Skewer. Hey. <laughs> I mean, it may make all this, it just kind of makes sense. And I also think like all uh, kind of in a bubble, the players just they're down with the notion of well, what do we do to win? We just we're willing to like you know have my role changed for this you know short term here. You know they won't sign up to be a reliever for 162 games, but they'll deal with it in October. Uh, so I think the tough part, the, the tough part is that if it, I mean especially if you're viewing it from the New York paper, if it works, it's a brilliant move by Joe Girardi to mess with the whole fundamental fabric of the game. But if they, if they lose and they mess it up, everyone's like, why the hell did you just not start Luis Severino? He's one of the best pitchers in the American League. Right. But I think yeah. it's really, it it does take it takes one to work for this to become a real thing. But at the same time, if that doesn't work, it could be another decade until we see it attempted again. I, I think what has to happen is a team has to be like. Well, this may work as a nice segue, actually, to a kind of a, like I, I. There's the hot goaltender thing. In is everyone okay? <laughs> someone's on fire. Sorry, someone's being arrested. <laughs> yeah. Well we, well, we won't mail you out, probably, but... <laughs> so, the... Sorry about so that. The, 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 you know, if your goalie... If your goalie's hot, you're going to win the Stanley Cup type of thing. All right, so let's say you do have uh, your, your top pitcher available. and But he's been sucking. And you want to give him an extra day's rest and all these things and let him then still be able to pitch a, a, the first game of the playoffs. Like, I think that's like the kind of situation where you might be able to sell it. Like, yeah, we had our number one guy available, but it would be, he wasn't, he didn't get enough rest or he threw 120 pitches last time or Rob, their <laughs> velocity was measurably down. <laughs> yeah. So, I'm so smooth with segues. Yeah, that was, that was really, that was just going to, Take a moment to marvel at your skill as good. a segue artist. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, I think there there is some uh, something to that, and the evidence uh, that and that Greg and I have collected suggests that velocity can be sticky. That pitchers can go through uh, short streaks where they are throwing harder or softer than normal, and so if a given manager was uh, was making a decision like that. I, I would. I think it would be in in some cases at least defensible 
in particular because they have the ability to go ask uh, Luis Severino and say, like, you, we've noticed your fastball velocity is down. Is something bothering you? So they have access to more information than we have um, just examining the pitchers from the outside of the game. So I, I think it's totally it would be totally reasonable for a manager to, to make a decision like that. And I think it would even be defensible in the press. I do think it would potentially make a big strategic difference. Unlike uh, a lot of the bullpen game type proposals, I mean, those might have small impacts in a given game and in the playoffs, you're searching for any additional edge you can get. So that's perfectly reasonable. But I think swapping out a cold pitcher for a hot pitcher, according to some research that Greg and I just did, it can have a, a really huge impact on a given game. I mean, a hot pitcher can exceed his projected performance by uh, full uh, run in terms of ERA. So uh, really swapping out a, a pitcher that you're not as confident in for someone that you think is on fire right now, I think would make a big difference in a playoff scenario. And you, do, there, you have an exa- actual recent examples without scooping yourself too hard. <laughs> like there's, yeah. there's, yeah, I think the, ben, the best example man. is uh, 2014 Madison Bumgarner. Um, everyone should remember, hopefully, that he had arguably the best postseason of all time. And he entered the, that postseason throwing quite a bit harder than normal. And he was, uh, at least by, according to our model, he was hot at that point. He was on a hot streak. And that basically carried through that, that postseason. It's something that uh, Greg and I have an article in progress. Hopefully, it'll get published later this week um, about what happens when a pitcher enters the playoffs hot or cold. And what we found is that it's that hot or cold streak is sticky throughout the playoffs. So a pitcher that enters hot is going to throw a bit harder for the whole month even um, than one who enters cold. So that those kinds of uh, decisions about who to start and who to sit or how to use pitchers at least um, can – make really material differences for the, so, the, the team's playoff trajectory. And in this, I can't, when, when you talk about this, I can't do anything else, but think about the Red Sox. Cause Drew Pomeranz, I think has lost something like three miles an hour. Yep. In the last month. And, yeah. Which I have like, Oh boy, he's going to be watching this guy. <laughs> it's like he, and now this is a team. And if you want to talk about needing to do some bullpen games, I mean, this is basically Chris Sale and a bunch of other dudes, and then Ben Kimbrell as a staff. You know, Price. What's you know, so your Price is going to be? Is he going to be in the bullpen? And, you know, what what what's the setup? I mean, what what what's anybody up to speed on what Boston's going to be trying to pull off with this? Or in other words, are they a candidate <laughs> to swap out instead of having Pomeranz, whether whatever game it is, is it is it smarter for them to not pitch him? And just go to the bullpen that, that day. Pulling up their depth chart. <laughs> it's not good. I'm, I'm not I, super I, up to speed on it, but I, I mean, no. Basically, it's Sale, Porcello, Pomerantz. Yeah, and I, I don't think Porcello's pitched that. He's. I don't know. I'm not sure either. But so, but yeah, so but, I. But after Pomerantz, they don't really have much in terms of guys who have gone long. No. And he's losing velocity. That kind of puts them in a spot, doesn't it? Maybe you want to be the two seed in the AL. <laughs> I don't know. 
The strategies are very complicated. <laughs> right now, the Minnesota Twins are in the best position. Yeah. <laughs> According to velocity readings, the Twins. <laughs> but there's a thing. The Twins with their catcher. That's another thing. Pet hole pitching staff changed. That, that, that's a team that got better by, you know, upgrading the whole staff by having a good framing catcher. It's kind of funny how you can do one thing and make everybody better like that. That's a long-term thing, though. In the playoffs, it's you're looking for those short-term bites. So, so I have I have a thought about the uh, the starter versus bullpen game kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Are, are you assuming that um, you're so think about like the probability of a win when you enter a game? Are you assuming that if you go to a bullpen game, your chances of winning are always going to be less than if you started your your ace? Is that an assumption you're making when you in this conversation? Uh, I don't know. I, to me, the, the the only fundamental thing I, I would try to claim about a bullpen game would be you're gaining advantage by not having the opposing batter see a pitcher twice. Mm. And in some cases, you might be able to get guys to either throw harder than they usually do or work an extra out or two or three even than they usually do. Um, so either way, you may, so you're, you might be able to get, you might be able to get different performance and outcomes at, you know, you, you can deploy pitchers comfortably in a different way than you might not have. Yeah. So the question is how good are those guys? You know, it's usually by necessity, right? So I think, so let's see, let's use that as the gauge. When do teams in the regular season do that? It's basically when they don't have a above replacement level starting pitcher available. Would that be a fair way of saying it? I think yeah. so. I, I would I would make that assumption that Okay. So let's say it's a replacement level like you let's use then replacement level pitcher as the baseline. Well it's I think it's hard to be a playoff team and, and going into the wild card game and not having a replacement level player available, but I'll play along. Well, I think I'm, you know, I'm saying what's the rule of thumb in the regular season. Oh, okay, okay. So, so your odds are okay. We think that this collection of relievers will will provide a better thing than a sub replacement pitcher. Okay, right, 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 right. So in the playoffs, it may be we have to have a group of relievers that maybe even with a performance boost by some strategic, you know, thing, uh, may be better than a one win pitcher, half win pitcher. It can also be, is that better? You can think about, is that is a bullpen game better than your number one pitcher on three days of rest versus four days of rest or something along those lines? Mm-hmm. And that's always the thing with the guys going on short rest at the yeah. end of the season when it's almost like, this is when you should be getting extra rest. <laughs> I mean, Kluber wore down. I mean, he, he was not the same guy through the World Series. Well, so did Miller. So did Chapman. Like last year, there was... Yeah, Chapman the, was bad. The, the yeah. World Series was full of pitchers who were gassed, you know, so... Absolutely. But Kluber was, I mean, unhittable in game one. Yeah, yeah. And then he was like, well, you know, good. That was a reason. And then it was like, oh, gosh, you know, he's done. Uh, so, I mean, that's the thing. It's... A, you might have the same problem with your relievers too, as you mentioned. You know, Miller and Chapman 
you know, you may not have the uh, you, you may not have the re- all the relief pitchers who can go all that. I mean, so it may be the, a different problem just on the other side. Same problem, but on the other side. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned Harry at the at the front of this. Like, teams are going to have shorter bullpens mainly because of trust, I think. But um, so I think that that means the teams that have the marginally better bullpens would have an advantage. Um, I'm not a statistician, so I don't have any numbers to back that up. But um, well, there's the, any statisticians we could ask? Yeah. Anyone? Anyone? Um, Anyone? So I, I think that um, just like anecdotally, that makes sense to me. Like if you have a bullpen like the Indians did last year, or you know, like the Yankees, like that's a that's a a, a roster that's constructed well for postseason play. You know, if you have, I mean, ideally you'd have strong starters and then a kick-ass bullpen and, you know, like that would be ideal, but most teams don't have all of those magic parts. So, um, I don't know. I mean, I think maybe just to like zoom back a little bit from pitching, um, we know that that's obviously important, but, uh, Oh, I actually have a related question. Uh, Travis, would it be, we talked a lot about just now about how the Yankees, like the, the media would, it being in, a, is the size of the media market going to impact the ability of a team to do something zany and risky? And that's viewed zany and perceived potentially by the public with very easy twist of the narrative key <laughs> to be zany, but it's actually probabilistically and very sound a good idea. Is yeah. it easier to do that I mean, in yeah. Seattle and Pittsburgh than I mean, it is yeah. to do in New York and Boston? <laughs> yeah, I mean, the thing yeah, is, George Rowdy also. It's, it, so I, maybe that's one of the reasons, you know, and, but if you're, but if you're a good team, does it matter? I don't know. I, mean, I don't know. See, this is, this is a strange thing about all these things. It's not just how will the team react, but it's how will the, the public react? How will the manager then impact the manager's uh, willingness to make decisions in the future if one of these things blows up on them? It's just kind of, you have to be able to make, uh, what you believe is the right decision, regardless of outside opinion. And I guess you're also hoping that your front office and ownership groups <laughs> are with you and you're not deviating from a uh, consensus within the, the organization. But I think these guys are, should be comfortable enough in their own skin to make difficult decisions. Maybe that's not how it plays out in reality. Uh, and I suppose, yeah, so it would be easier to pull off in a small market. Uh, where if something like this went awry in New York, it would be a huge story and uh, possibly a distraction uh, yeah. should the team, you know, regardless of outcome, it could be it would be a it could be a potential distraction. So yeah, I guess yeah. we're talking about those, these things theoretically and in a vacuum and not having to deal with reporters <laughs> and being second guessed. <laughs> but in theory, I would hate for yeah. a decision maker to believe he has this idea that is unconventional and could be criticized and is not willing to implement it because of fear. I think when fear starts influencing your decisions, that's, that's not uh, an ideal process. Yeah. I also with George Rodi in particular, he, his contract's over at the end of the season. And I mean, if he botched something like that or not necessarily he, but if they tried to implement a bullpen game and it didn't work out, that could be honestly in this kind of market, in this situation, enough for him not to get his contract renewed. So, I mean, selfishly for the manager, he might be thinking that far too. 
just like the uh, Art Howe character in Moneyball. <laughs> I will support, I will never second guess a manager does a bullpen game. So, <laughs> we're not me. Because it would be I fun to cover you. or? <laughs> Uh, because uh, he's trying, he's just trying to foster, so, yeah, uh, there is a bias. To foster a good but I think in some situations it makes sense. Yeah, I think it makes sense if you're forced to play in games. I think it makes sense. I think it makes sense if you can sell it and pers- uh, uh, you know to whomever as we we kind of need to. Like there has to be a thing where it's like an obviously a, a bad starting pitcher is the only guy available and nobody has to say it, you know, out loud, like, you know, Hey, it looks like a good, good day to go for a bullpen game. You know, everybody nudge, nudge that guy, you know, we don't, <laughs> um, it, it, you know, or something more esoteric where it's like, Hey, we ha- we have a cold and we, or would you just turn into guy needs extra rest this time of year. So, you know, it's not worth the risk. Da, da, da. So there's like, I, I think if you, it, there's going to have to be a PR aspect to it. Like you have to, you have to, you have to prepare the market for it, and then introduce the idea. Communication skills. Yeah, I mean, it's this is an entertainment business. I mean, it's, <laughs> but I think you could even conceive of scenarios where you choose to do a bullpen game, even if it lowers your probability of winning that specific game, that wild card game but it raises your chances of winning games down the road. So imagine the wild card game, you think you're going to beat that team and your probability is only going down a few percentage points, but then your game one against that next team in the next round, they have a great starting pitcher and you know, you need to have your best starting pitcher for them. You know, there's probably scenarios you could develop there that it actually makes sense to give up a few percentage points in that first game to maximize your chances of winning a world series. I think you could do that. I think it has to be really small percentage point. You have to be a really good return on that risk because the cost of not advancing is so high. That's it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I think that the the human inclination is just going to be there is no tomorrow. Is every resource available goes into this game? Period. And. And said, "Well, you know, we're, we've got a decent lead. Maybe we should start resting guys. I think maybe they, you know, I think I think that goes against like human nature. Be a hard sell for the the money people in baseball to be like, um, yeah, no, that's fine. We we don't want that, you know, playoff series revenue. Um, you know, even 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 just that. I think. I mean, and and that may not." necessarily filter all the way down to the dugout but um it's like we got eliminated the wild card game but if we had won we would have been better off in the next round (laughs) like what's what's your goal are you trying to maximize your chances of winning a world series or are you trying to maximize your chances of just getting as far as possible and those are usually the same things but there are scenarios where i think it's not i think in this case it's more that like you're maximizing your chance of taking the step forward yeah I'm, i'm not to the extreme of it doesn't matter you know i'm not gonna throw madison bumgarner you know three games in a row but that's yeah. what it has to be you have to get to the next step right you yeah have to... it's like to me it's like that's it like there is no like i will figure it out when i there's a definitely i will figure it out when i get there that is that, that you could you could screw yourself if you don't have some foresight obviously but you, you're probably gonna make decisions that you know like well i wouldn't make this decision if i didn't it, it's all or nothing 
you know, early in a playoff run, if you have multiple games, and this maybe goes back to the two, this is where the double header concept, the, the double dip on the wild card, you know, you get one team has to win one, one team has to win two, then you could really start, you know, that first game. That might be where you go, okay, we're not going to put a good starter in the first game. There's no reason to. We're gonna, yeah. you know, we have him available. He's in. He's 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 he's. Rob has him as hot, and he's <laughs> you know all the th- every, everything's on his regular rest. He only threw 87 pitches because we took him out after five innings last time. Golden, like you know what? Screw that. He's not pitching today. If we lose, he'll pitch the next game. Otherwise, we'll keep him ready for game one of the division series. And that would make it's sense. Very much like how teams close out seasons. Yeah, mm-hmm. but that's the same rationale of of um throwing your best guy in the games that count the most right like in whether it's a one game playoff or um if it's g- game seven like, of the i don't World think series. you do the bullpen thing in the one game playoff no i don't think you do it in the elimination game unless you don't have any other options right i think you do it maybe early enough like instead of your ace starting game one of the playoffs on three days rest you know, or game two, maybe you can have your ace in game one, but game two, you don't want to move your number two up a day or whatever, you know, whatever, maybe then, maybe then it's like, okay, if there's a, if there's a cost to this, we can still have our other pitchers fresh later. The whole, what Greg was saying that it's worth it, but maybe it's in game two. It's gotta be within the series. I don't think you can do that in like a one game series because the cost or the risk is, is too high. And you don't do, do it if you lose game one. So maybe you win game one with your ace, and then you bring, then you go. All right, our decision is bullpen. All right. Well, I think we've hypothetically solved all of baseball's playoff problems. Yeah, that's pretty much it. <laughs> Thank you guys so much for coming on. Um, we look forward to a very fun 2017 uh, Major League Baseball playoffs, and um, I think there's just was there just one playoff spot remaining to be filled is that right the nl wild card two i don't think the twins have completely clinched okay. yet i think the twins are still at I one think, still their magic okay. at one i think and then i think the rockies have like a two or three they're they're i think two I they're think. two games up right now yeah okay. so it's, it's getting close um, getting close but um yeah, thank you guys for for coming on and um, kind of discussing your recent work, and also um, kind of throwing around some ideas about how to make um, Major League Baseball playoffs better and or how teams can maximize what they have. Um, I think that was a was a really great conversation. So, Greg, Rob, Travis, and Ben, thanks so much for coming on, guys. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for having us. Hey, thanks, guys. Thanks for coming back. We are just about to dive into the things that we have learned this week. Um, Harry, do you want to flip a coin to see who goes first? Do you have a coin uh, handy? I don't have a coin handy. Okay. Um, were you born in the first six months of the year? Yes. Okay, you go first. Okay, so um, we've talked about Bill James and his collection of books that he's written 
through yes. the years. We actually had it wrong in our sabermetrics timeline. It was like I think I had like 1985 or something obscenely incorrect. I think it started in like 1977, uh, but it was first you know printed and bound in '82, I think. Okay. So uh, uh, I didn't learn that this week. I learned that, but you know that week. Um, so, but what I found today uh, or yesterday was uh, at my local favorite coffee shop. Uh, I saw a stack of Bill James books from I think '83 to '87. No kidding. Along with it, yeah. In the coffee, like, like they well, in the okay, so this coffee something? shop. Yeah, they basically they'll, they'll frequently have like a stack of baseball books out just on the shelf, kind of as a display. Sometimes they'll have three old uh, Chicago Bulls Wheaties boxes. You know, it's nice. like so. It's a, the general manager of the shop is, uh, which is a place called Beans and Bagels near Rockwell Crossing. Uh, that they, they, he's he's into Chicago sports. He's a Blackhawks fan. Uh, so there's 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 a little shelving area. You know, we'll have stacks of books. I, you know, they've always had like uh, 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 there was some baseball books reference, old reference books there before. Just. Yeah, but suddenly there was this stack of really noteworthy Bill James books sitting there. So I took a picture of them uh, and tweeted it, as one does in, in this era of social media. And uh, Bill James himself retweeted the picture. Very nice. Yeah, so it ended up being a whole thread of people sending me pictures, uh, you know, and Bill, really, sending Bill, what's, you know, pictures of their collections, uh, which is kind of cool. Um, uh, so then today I dropped off a copy of the 2017 BP Annual and let them know that Bill James had seen the tweet, and they were quite excited. Oh, that's cool. So, yeah, it was kind of neat. So that's what this. So that's what I learned this week, is that my uh, the general manager of my local coffee shop is a Bill James aficionado. That's pretty cool. And uh, mm-hmm. that's Beans and Bagels, and it's in Chicago? Yes, sir. All right. Well, hopefully we can send some other people that that way, too, because um, that is very, very cool. Um, the thing that I learned this week, um, so I play fantasy baseball, and I know that no one cares about my fantasy baseball team. However... Um, do you play fantasy baseball, Harry? Have you ever? I do. I still have. Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, I ran a fantasy baseball league in 1984, yes. five, whenever nice. I was in eighth grade. It wasn't even called fantasy baseball. That that term did not exist. Right. It was just rotisserie baseball at that yeah. time. Yeah. So. Just ask me on another show. We can do a whole show about yeah, that. T- totally. Great. I'm sure. I'm sure we'll touch on some fan- fantasy just, stuff it, at some just point. Me running a money baseball league in the in the mid '80s as an eighth grader. Hijinks ensued. Yes. Okay. So, anyways, sure. go. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, so I, anyway, I, I, you say so you're familiar played, with the concept. Okay. I, I've sucked at it for thirty some odd years. Awesome. Thank you. Um, so I uh, I've also played for a long time. Not quite that long. Um, I did score by hand um, early 90s um, when I was early high school for me. Um, and Same thing, man. Yeah. yeah. So, but I am in a, um, like a dynasty league where we have like minor league rosters and things like that. Anyway, so this, this league, I have Wilson Contreras on my team. He's my catcher. Love Wilson Contreras. Um, but he was suspended, and then he was injured. I think right earlier this year. I'm, there was some reason he was. Yeah, he was, he was, he was he suspended. Had, uh, but, um, hamstring. Yeah, I think that's something. 
And I don't remember it right off the top of my head. However, so I needed a replacement. And so I was like searching the waiver wire and this guy named Tyler Flowers comes up. And I'm like, man, I, I recognize that name. I grew up in Chicago, kind of, I don't follow the White Sox, but I kind of follow the White Sox. And so that name was familiar to me. He was a prospect for them for a long time. And so I'm like, all right, Tyler Flowers. Let's look up. He seems to be doing all right this year. So I picked him up and kind of, he was on my roster. And so I knew that he was um, performing well this year. But I dug into it a little bit deeper and I was looking at his um, player card at Baseball Prospectus and he's having an outrageous year. Um, Yes. He's got... His framing numbers are crazy. Yeah, his framing numbers are like bananas. uh, Which... I'm going to burst your bubble. What? Tell me. No, I don't know. Um, I'm afraid this might be wrong. Oh, really? Yeah, well, you know, Ben, I think Ben Lindbergh checked this out already. Okay. Because I was like, because he he said the same thing to me. Maybe it was Sam. I forget what I can. I, again, those two, I I can, I can't keep their articles apart. I mean, even when I was reading their book, I couldn't really keep track of which one was writing, which chapter, unless they referred to each other by name. Um, but one of them came to me with this, like, All right, Harry, does this look right to you? <laughs> I was like, yeah, but here's the thing about Atlanta, that the, the uh, Trackman system there was brand new. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, brand. yeah. So, but Ben pointed out that the backup catcher was having bad framing numbers. And so he actually looked into it, and even after the system got better and got cleaned up, yeah, he's still doing really great. So it's a possibility that he may lose some stuff if we decide to uh, tweak that. Tweak, yeah. But based but on what, even if it goes to, so his um, his having an awesome season. Yeah, his 2016 warp um, was he was 2.6, and this That's year, good. which is good, That's yeah, 2.6 this year. As of right now, <laughs> I believe, or maybe that's projected through the end of the season, which yeah. is like four days away or whatever. Five, yeah, five point nine. Yeah, five and a half. Yeah, okay, it's almost six. Jeez. Yeah, and yeah. I was how like, much of that is for like two twenty-five cow. runs or something like that is framing? Is that yeah, it? it's um, his. He's got um, twenty-three point two framing. His right. FRAA adjusted. Okay, that so that's all his framing, his pitch blocking. Yep. Some of it, and some of his throwing stuff as well is in there. So yep. yeah, so twenty three point two. Yeah, he's crushing it. And I was just like, oh my gosh! Like, and so I pulled him up on some other like leaderboards um, on Baseball Prospectus, and just like looking at warp and things like that. And he's like, I think top top 15? top twenty. Yeah, top fifteen, like, top twenty. Yeah, and I was like, like Tyler Flowers. Yeah. It's like a top 20 player in 2017. Like, yeah, that blew my mind. That totally blew my mind. He, um, so when we look at Pakoda, I looked at Pakoda for this year, um, in his, let me pull that up here. Um, yeah. So his preseason 90 percentile, um, forecast was 2.7 warp. So it's like, he's like massively outperforming. Yeah, um, exactly. His, we don't, his yeah, because his framing projection would have been pretty uh, mild. Yeah, so he's blown away his best, I think, which is super. I don't know. It's crazy. That blew my mind, and I like, like I said, like so I, yeah, grabbed so that's him, like, but 
I did not realize like the impact. And I didn't really, I mean, it's interesting because when you think about great catchers, like there are guys who are like flashy good. And then there are guys who are like just really good framers, but you don't like hear a ton about them. Like Tyler flowers. Like if I didn't look this up, I wouldn't be like, Oh yeah, that guy, he's an awesome framer. Right. You don't know it unless somebody points it out. Right. Um, or, or if you're watching it. And even then, you probably won't be that good at quantifying it. Right. Um, but I, I, the first time it like struck me that framing is part of warp, you know, was actually because a client had informed me that they had Jonathan Lucroy as the most valuable player in baseball. Right. This was because, a couple of years ago. Yeah. This is some. Yeah. It's yeah. like at his peak. Yep. And you know, I had a lot of conversations with teams about that, and I kind of you know as well. Like, do you really pay for that? And the answer is no, because the rules can change. It may not be as fluid. We don't understand it as much, and da da da. So there's, there's you know, is framing worth as much as every you know are all runs and you know create equal? But the notion was though that these guys can do it, and we mentioned uh, was it Jason Castro? Is that the catcher of the Twins side? Yeah, that I don't think you mentioned him by frame. name, but yeah, and like yeah, we we. we we have, uh, you know, even when we projected the Twins in Pocota this year, we had pretty much them improving quite a bit. And one of the reasons was, well, their pitching staffs can be better. They have a good defense. And because their pitching staff will just be better when you go from a poor framing catcher to a good framing catcher. It actually happens. The White Sox had the inverse happen to them. Right. Um, so, it, I mean, it's it's real. I mean, is it is it fully attributable to the player the way our model exactly right? Is is Flowers really a top fifteen at twenty player? I wouldn't know. I wouldn't pay him or, or treat him that way. Right. <laughs> I wouldn't but, give him the best loss. But I'd be foolish to think that he's not of extraordinary importance to any success my pitchers are having. And that's the thing, it, like when teams are going out and especially at the catcher position, like you know, are you going to pay him like a top fifteen guy, like top fifteen hitter? Like no, but are you gonna pay him as the best catcher? Like, and apparently, has guys have started to get paid a bit. Like, I think you can go look at some catcher salaries and realize that, yeah, they got paid for framing, right? Because he wasn't hitting. Yeah, so, exactly. Um, I, I think I think it's happened where there's some happy medium between you know, you know. So even if we even if we were to find that we shouldn't be crediting flowers so much for one reason or another. He's still going to be, you know, in that top, top echelon of players. Yep. So Tyler Flowers is making $3 million this year, which is like, so, like, I mean, if you think about that, dollars, dollars per warp, like, that's, that's amazing. It's a steal. Yeah. Yeah. So that, that kind of thing. And, and like you were talking about, like, as, as those markets and as like, the data we have more and more and more of that um to be able to analyze players catchers specifically i think that that's going to be an interesting thing to watch um uh who gets you know tendered contracts and who gets tendered large contracts and um mm-hmm. and just, I, mean, I know it's definitely jarring for people who are used to the other you know uh, the, you know baseball reference or fan graphs war you know, our, our, our framing values are heavier. You know, I don't think they're in Fangraphs war at all. There's definitely something in baseball reference war, but it's a very conservative 
model, um, it's it's sometimes shocking to people. You're not the first person who's been like, you know what I you know what I saw today? This this catcher, this like random catcher, he's 25th in the league in warp. How can that be? Yeah. So <laughs> baseball reference, um, which is where I grabbed that um, salary data from. Uh, he's 2.3 WAR, baseball reference WAR this year, and so it's. But last year, we di- yeah, we have different replacement levels too. But yep. those probably won't be too different. Yeah, Wars positional adjustments might be different. Yeah, so there's other. It's not just the framing. I mean, yeah. we have. Yeah, but that to me, that's what I learned this week. That um, the the Tyler Flowers that I remember as a White Sox prospect in like 2007 or whatever it was, um, not the same dude, or maybe is the same dude, but um, he's having a really good season. So. Yep. That's what I learned. Well, there you have it. It's still important. Yep. Until until the robot umps come. Oh boy. Framing matters. It just that's just the deal, y'all. That's just until there's robot umpires, you're gonna have to deal with framing, and we're gonna count it. So so Harry, yep. um, over mm-hmm. under robot umps in ten years. Oh, uh, it would be under. You think that? I'll take, I'll take under. You do you think that that will actually happen? Yeah, I just think the tech. We don't. Uh, yeah, sure. Yeah, hmm. technology kind of marches forward. Yeah, I think like Rob mentioned earlier, um, like the aesthetics of the game. I think that um, the aesthetics of the game would be affected such that people would hate that. Even though so many people are like standing up on their soapboxes right now saying, oh, we want robot umps. This guy missed this call, whatever. If I would be surprised if we're not using technology to help at the very least. Yeah. But like for ball uh, strikes? I mean, yeah. Wow. Uh, there, I, I'd be surprised if we weren't. Okay. Yeah, within 10 years. So mark it down. Harry took the under. Um, mm-hmm. I would, I don't know, I would probably take the over, but. Yeah. And I'm very pro technology. I, I think that using it when we can would be um, is super beneficial. But I don't. Um, I don't know. Maybe I am old school. I'm starting. I'm oh, having a little bit school. of a, having a little bit of a crisis here. Uh, oh boy. Um, uh, Made in shield crisis. Yes. So, um, well, I'm going to go have my crisis, and um, we'll talk to you guys next week. And next week it will be. Um, the playoffs will have already started, so we will be uh, playing off. Who knows what we're, we're going to talk about? But that's right. Be, yeah, could so be anything. Could be anything. Probably will be about baseball. Goodbye, baseball. <laughs> <laughs> Just don't fall.